In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. At various stages of our lives, we make transitions, or new beginnings. We sometimes mark these occasions and commemorate them. We have graduation ceremonies. We start a new job. Some of the organizations that we belong to have levels or merits that are achievable. The Boy Scouts have a series of ranks, from Tenderfoot to Life and Eagle Scout, while Cub Scouts have the Bobcat, the Wolf, the Bear, and it ends with the Scout becoming a Weebler. We start off new years, new chapters of life, and we make transitions. Sometimes those transitions set the course of our life for many years to come. Others are transitions that are fleeting, make very little difference in the long run. Baptism is a transition. Baptism is also a new beginning. Baptism is one of those moments when the course of your life is changed from one moment to the next in ways that we sometimes cannot explain or in ways that are sometimes imperceptible. And baptism is an initiation into the household of God. It is the way that we are adopted into God's family and become members of the church, the household of faith. One of the theological ideas behind baptism is what we call the remission of sins. Through baptism, we are cleansed of our sins. We sometimes say that our sins are washed away. What we profess is that through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, that we share in his death and resurrection and come through that sharing in the waters of baptism. Now, there is a question that often arises when we read the passages associated with John the Baptizer, Jesus, and this scene. Usually it is worded something like this. If Jesus was sinless, or the Son of God, then why did he need to be baptized? After all, he was the sinless one, or did he have to be baptized so God could adopt him? These are great questions that have been part of the debate of the church for centuries. Mark's gospel begins not with a nativity scene like Matthew and Luke, nor does it start with a great theologically rich prologue like John does. Instead, there is a sense of urgency to Mark, and we are dropped right into the middle of that story. Jesus is an adult and has come to the River Jordan, and it is here where Mark begins his gospel with the introduction of John and Jesus. The urgency of Mark is that John proclaims the coming of the kingdom of God, the beginning of a new era, new Mark in the history of time. John is identified as the one coming before to prepare the way for the Messiah and is seen dressed in camel hair and eating a very strange diet, almost like one of the greatest of the prophets of the Old Testament. He's there to remind us of Elijah. 
just as John knew that the time was shifting to a new era, Jesus did as well. And what Mark is pointing out to us is the moment that the ministry of Jesus starts. The moment from Mark's perspective that was the beginning of the whole renewal of creation. And that baptism for Mark, or that moment for Mark, is the baptism. Not a birth story, not a story about shepherds or angels or magi, but when Jesus is an adult and begins his ministry. This is the beginning of the saga that leads eventually to Golgotha and the cross. Something that is lost in the way we read our lectionary passages is the overarching sweep of the individual books. We don't read them in long passages, but in short snippets. Mark, the shortest of the Gospels, can be read in about 30 minutes or so from start to finish. If you were to do that, and I encourage you one day to do it, perhaps even with a group of friends, each taking a chapter and going around a table, round robin. But anyways, if you do sit down and read Mark from start to finish, you will notice that this pronouncement of Jesus being God's Son, or the Son of God, is always a revealing, the making of a revelation to the people around. We have the demoniacs who proclaim Jesus as the Son of God. In the end, we have one of the centurions who had been at the crucifixion and saw how Jesus died, and he proclaimed near the end of the gospel that truly this man was God's Son. The Gospel of Mark begins with Jesus' baptism and the pronouncement by the Father that Jesus is his well-beloved Son, and ends with someone representing earthly authority, confirming as valid that statement. And between these two bookends is contained all the work and ministry that Jesus did while here on earth, which ushered in the coming of the kingdom of God. Now, there is a second problem, though, that we have to address today as well. And that problem deals with our own baptism. Some of us were baptized as infants, others when we were older, and still others of us as adults. But regardless of when our baptisms took place, it was also the beginning of a new journey for us as well. It is the beginning of a new life, a new family to which we are adopted, and a new reality of our being. And there are promises we make that we will live into a Christian manner of living. And the congregation present at a baptism also makes vows that they will uphold keep the newly baptized in their prayers and in their care. There is much news and press, and there is also much speculation, both in the media and even around the church itself, about the future of the church. Attendance is down. Traditional churches are 
shutting down with startup church becoming more prolific. This parish here has been through a rough decade, with some, smaller, with some members falling away due to strife with the global church or with the local leaders of this parish. And I think, I really do think, that so much of this is related to our forgetfulness about the vows that we have taken. When we are baptized into the church, we make promises. Some of these promises involve living in community with each other. Others deal with the world outside these walls. In a few moments, we are going to renew our baptismal vows. We are going to promise to look back into those promises we have made. If we Christians were truly serious about our vows, I believe that many of our problems would begin to fade away. It wouldn't be an overnight thing, but they would fade. If we Christians actually lived into the vows we made, just as we live into our wedding vows, or vows we take to join societies or organizations, we would then be in the proper place to join in the inauguration of this kingdom that we so earnestly pray to come each time we say, Thy kingdom come. When we as Christians begin to be Christians first and to put everything else in its proper place after Christ, then the world would begin to be transformed. Earlier this week, we had a political event that became charged by speeches and rhetoric, and eventually several hundred people stormed the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. It was an appalling and disgraceful scene. At least one person has lost their life, and many others were injured. I think many of us have seen the photographs and also some of the video that has come out in recent days. Several things I think we can all take away from it, regardless of us either being conservatives or progressives or Democrats or Republicans or even independents, is this. This country is a divided country. There's very little holding us together as a society at this point in time. We fight, argue, we take to character assassination of people with whom we disagree. Facebook friends are unfriending people because they find the other person too abhorrent. Platforms for dialogue are shutting people out. The once highly esteemed art of debate has disintegrated into yelling matches, and instead of ideas being teased out until we find the right answers, or at least the least bad answers, we dig in and hold our position. And it is not even just our politics. It has become the way of the church in America as well. And instead of a pledge in our allegiance as we ought as Christians to the kingdom of God, 
We pledge it to the idol of a false notion, an idea, and say that we are only honoring God and country. Now, I'm not talking about being a patriot. Patriotism is right and good. And I'm not talking about the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. And please remember, we do pray and have prayers for our country and celebrate Independence Day and Thanksgiving Day as they are marked in our prayer book as holy days, days when we should acknowledge God's gift of this nation with a service held in this space. What I am talking about is the corrupting of the politics and nationalism in such a way that it blasphemes God. And we see it all around. How many of us have seen shirts or yard signs or bumper stickers that proclaim God, country, guns? Which would not have been anything near what Jesus would have said. Or others misrepresenting what the Bible actually says by taking some choice verses out of context. We also have religious leaders on the nightly news trying to use scripture as a rallying point. I actually heard a famous one from here in Texas declare that God had given him a prophecy to proclaim that Donald Trump was going to win a second term. It's becoming insane. Or we use religion as a platform for endorsing one candidate while demonizing another. Once again, something I don't think Jesus would have done. This is not how we live into our baptismal vows. See this flag behind me? This flag is not here to make a political statement or to endorse some sort of nationalism that says we are right. This flag is here as a symbol that we as Christians are called to live a different life, the Christian life, but to do that in our place and time here in the United States in 2021, and that we sacrifice all, even our politics, to that kingdom. We are Christians first, Americans second. And we recognize that every time we walk in here, because the altar of God is here in the center and not the flag. It is an offering and a reminder to us that even our deeply held feelings of loyalty to this country must also be placed behind the cross of Christ. It is our Christian values that we should keep in mind when we vote. It is our Christian heritage that should govern our response to crisis. It is our Christian beliefs that should guide our decisions when we consider what programs we ask our leaders to fund. More, so much more could be said about this, but this is not quite the right time. But what we all must understand is this. Baptism is our passageway into a life that is so much bigger than politics and so much more noble than nationalism.
Our baptism is where all of this starts. It is where we get our new beginning. When we say our vows, when we make our promises, these are not just empty words that we mouth and go through the motions. These are the vows of the saints. These are the vows of the martyrs. These are the vows of the church. If we all here were to commit to living out these vows as best as we can, and with God's help, we couldn't imagine the difference it would make here in Portland, much less around the world. And if all Christians everywhere would remember these vows and live into them, the kingdom of God would become more manifest than we could possibly imagine.